Hello, this is Ian Wolf, producer of Diffusion Science Radio. You can now support Diffusion through the Patreon support page at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Send me a message about the supporter rewards you'd like to receive. Or make a donation directly with the PayPal button or click on an Amazon affiliate link at www.diffusionradio.com. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, exercise for longer life and physics poetry in the pub. But first up, here's the news. Good guts make social mice. One species of human gut bacteria is the difference between social mice and loner mice, which points the way to a treatment for people with autistic spectrum disorder. Previous research has shown that the obesity of mothers during pregnancy could increase children's risk of developing neurodevelopmental disorders such as autistic spectrum disorder. People on the autism spectrum usually have gut problems. Research published in 2014 found that babies given drops of the bacteria Lactobacillus reuteri had more bowel movements, less colic and reflux, and fewer doctor visits than those given placebo. Other research has shown how diet can affect gut bacteria and how gut bacteria can affect the brain. Neuroscientists at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, decided to investigate the link between a mother's diet the gut bacteria her babies inherit, and their behaviour. The researchers fed 60 female mice a high-fat diet that was roughly equivalent to eating fast food several times a day. The babies stayed with their mother for three weeks and then were weaned onto a normal diet. After a month, these young mice showed behavioural deficits, such as spending less time in contact with other mice and not initiating interactions. Researchers used RNA gene sequencing to determine the bacterial composition of the gut of the mice. They found a clear difference in the types of bacteria between the mice whose mothers were in the two different diet groups. The sequencing data was so consistent that by looking at the gut bacteria of an individual mouse, they were able to predict whether its behaviour would be changed. The investigators concluded that one or more beneficial bacterial species might be important normal social behaviour. Fecal transplant experiments in germ-free mice without any gut bacteria, which are exactly what they sound like, showed that an imbalanced microbial ecology in the gut of mice born to mothers on a high-fat diet is responsible for their social deficits. Whole genome shotgun sequencing revealed one particular type of bacteria, Lactobacillus reuteri, 
which was reduced more than nine times in the microbiome of mice born to mothers on the high-fat diet. Researchers cultured a strain of Lactobacillus reuteri, originally isolated from human breast milk, and introduced it into the water of the high-fat diet offspring. Treatment with this single bacterial strain was able to rescue their social behaviour. It's important to note that other autistic spectrum disorder symptoms such as anxiety were not restored by supplementing with the bacteria. Interestingly, the authors found that Lactobacillus reuteri also promoted the production of the bonding hormone oxytocin, which is known to play a crucial role in social behaviour and its lack has been associated with autism in humans. The reward circuitry in the socially impaired mice was dysfunctional. They found that in response to social interaction, there was a problem in a key reward area of the brain with a synaptic potentiation that leads to learning. When they put the bacteria back in the maternal high-fat diet offspring, they found that it could also restore the changes in synaptic function in the reward circuitry. This approach could not only lead to treatment for autistic spectrum disorder, but also for other neurodevelopmental disorders. The researchers say it's too early to tell whether humans will get the same social benefits as the mice. My gut tells me more research is needed. The paper was titled Microbial Reconstitution Reverses Maternal Diet-Induced Social and Synaptic Deficits in Offspring and was published in the journal Cell. Of course, gut bacteria may not be the whole story. Another study found that the father's obesity is a risk factor for his children having autistic spectrum disorder, which suggests some epigenetic changes in his sperm could be contributing. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. At the Australian Biology of Ageing conference, I heard Professor Mark Fabreo talking about exercise, heat shock proteins and slowing ageing. Mark is head of the Diabetes Division of the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. I began by asking him, what is a heat shock protein and how does it relate to the process of ageing? Uh, a heat shock protein is a member of a family of proteins. They're really known as chaperone proteins because what they do is they bind to other proteins in the cell and then they take them to specific parts of that cell. If you like, they act like a taxi within the cell. They're a chaperone and they can take these proteins from region to region in the cell. And you're looking at particular heat shock proteins. What's the connection between these messenger proteins and the process of ageing and longevity? Okay, so many, many years ago, our entry into this field of research is we discovered that during exercise, skeletal muscle makes heat shock protein 70, which is a, a 70 kilodalton protein from the family. And we, we continued to work on this to see what actually this protein does. And what we found was that it actually is involved 
in protecting against insulin resistance, which is pre-diabetes in type 2 diabetes. And it does this many ways. But the way that really we the, the breakthrough was when we found that we if we overexpressed this protein in a mouse model or we have a drug which is an activator of this protein it had uh, profound effects on the mitochondria the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and it's been known for quite a while that um, in aging in the process of aging the mitochondria becomes defective so we're now looking at the the molecule which is called BGP15 and it's it's been in clinical trials it's been in a clinical trial for patients with type 2 diabetes and it's just entered a clinical trial for patients with idiopathic cardiomyopathy now we're looking at the possibility that activation of HSP72 using this drug may be able to delay the aging process because it has such a profound effect on the mitochondria of muscle cells in particular. At what age would you want someone to take this to be able to start delaying the effects of aging? Well, that's a, a fairly difficult question. One of the one of the things we do know though that both in humans and in mouse models of disease that the mitochondria become defective as we get older so when in our mouse models of of disease including we're actually looking at this now in alzheimer's disease in the brain because there's a link between defective mitochondria and inflammation in the brain and Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia and we think this may have therapeutic utility in these age-relating diseases. I would suspect that you know into middle age there would be a possibility that therapeutics could be developed to stave off old age and and the inability for people to have mobility and for you know for cognition as well. And people's ability to respond well to exercise goes down as they age. Yeah, it does. But the, the key is that if someone is active when they can be active, they'll continue to be active and the ability to do activity will be much easier. I mean, there are people who are in their 70s and 80s that are lifelong exercisers and they do, you know, they, they can do enormous amounts of exercise because they've been doing it their whole life. I mean, one thing that we're very careful in our work is never to suggest that a pill would ever substitute exercise. I mean, the frustrating thing about working in these metabolic diseases that we work in is that they could be largely prevented if people were active and a little bit made better choices with their diet. Unfortunately, they don't, and people uh, like being sedentary. So in that respect, we have to look at these therapeutic interventions to try and help people. And I guess the more sedentary people are, the more they think they like it because they adjust. Yeah, I think that that people... That's true. I think sedentary behaviour is a learned behaviour and exercise is a learned behaviour. And even for people who are habitual exercisers, if they take a break, it's always harder when they, when you go back in, into exercise. So I really try and tell people to exercise for, you know, consistently for throughout their life. Of course, in, in some people that have disease, this isn't possible. So there are for example, we're looking at using this pathway to see if we can treat boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. 
it's an awful disease. You know, boys become wheelchair bound by the time they're in their mid-teens, and it's you know we for those types of diseases we have to really try and push the boundaries to come up with new therapies. So the drug activates heterop protein seventy two to express more in response to exercise. And what are some of the things that heterop seventy two does to help the body? Okay, this is uh, that, that's a very important question. What we've found, and this is the link with the mitochondria, we've found that there is a process within a cell called autophagy, or in the case of the mitochondria, mitophagy, and that's the ability of the cell to, it's almost like a garbage disposal, it's to clean the cell up of its cellular debris. Okay, so what activation of HSPs do is they enhance the process of autophagy and mitophagy. And without these, without these heat shock proteins active, uh, the process becomes defective and uh, you have very poor mitochondria within the cell. So one of the major molecular pathways, if you like, that we discovered a couple of years ago is that when you activate these proteins, you enhance the process of autophagy and mitophagy and you basically keep the cell healthier. So it's clearing away the parts that aren't functioning well anymore. Correct, it is. That, I mean, the, the whole process, this whole process of autophagy and mitophagy, they take, for example, in, in terms of mitophagy, which is autophagy of the mitochondria, they take damaged, dysfunctional mitochondria and they chaperone them to uh, a part of the cell called the lysosome. And the lysosome then clears these proteins. So it is really important to understand that these processes become defective in ageing. And so that's why we think we've, we've stumbled on this sort of novel nuance avenue to try and treat the process of, of ageing and ageing-related disorders. And this substance that you've developed, this BGP-15, how far along is it before you'd start to put some of it into the market for various diseases? Well, that's, I mean, the molecule has been in a phase two clinical trial for type 2 diabetes, but it was slightly underpowered study, so that has to be repeated. And in terms of the trial in idiopathic cardiomyopathy, that's currently being conducted. So unlike many other molecules that have not been trialled in humans, this has been in five separate human trials for safety and efficacy. And one of the things that's encouraging about this particular small molecule is that it's been shown to be very safe. And safety is one of the reasons why drugs don't get to market. If they have uh, very severe side effects, then they won't be approved by the FDA TGA. Encouragingly, this molecule appears to be fairly safe with limited, if any, side effects. In your talk, you mentioned briefly, I think, late-onset progeria and fibrosis, which yes. are two unrelated things, I believe. Uh, well, I mean, one of, the, one of the main reasons why we've gone into the trial for idiopathic cardiomyopathy is those patients get fibrosis in their heart. 
What we found with, with this drug in several mouse models, it seems to be very antifibrotic. So when you look at mouse models of Duchenne muscular dystrophy and mouse models of atrial fibrillation, one of the, the prognostic indicators is fibrosis in the muscle cells. And this drug was able to very much ameliorate the fibrosis. So that's why the fibrosis is going ahead. With respect to the the late onset progeria, there's a group of patients who have a mutation of a gene and they, they're not like classical progeria mutation patients who young children get progeria and age rapidly and, and die very, very quickly. This this age onset progeria in these patients with mutations of the LMNA gene, a laminal mutation, they have a cluster of phenotypes and one of them is that they they just get premature senescence very quickly. So when they're in their 30s and 40s, they then age very rapidly and they get a lot of age-related diseases, including some cancers as they get older. They also get type 2 diabetes because this gene results in what's called lipodystrophy. Lipodystrophy means that, that the adipose tissue cells die. And whilst one would think that is a good thing, it's actually a bad thing because there is nowhere for the lipid that's taken in the diet to be stored. So it ends up being stored in the liver. The liver gets very lipid-laden, very fatty liver disease, and that results in, in the onset of diabetes. So we're looking at a possibility that some of these patients may respond positively to BGP-15, but we haven't started those trials yet because uh, as yet we've been uh, unable to get the project funded. Would you like to say anything about the way you got into this career? Because I, I believe you were an athlete previously. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I... I was an exercise physiologist and we came up with this concept that muscle releases factors that can protect against, you know, perhaps the onset of diseases and heat shock protein 70 was one of these molecules that we were able to show was made by skeletal muscle and, and ultimately released into the circulation. So it, it was a, a serendipitous path to medical research, but um, uh, one that I'm enjoying. Uh, just, I'd just like to re- reiterate to everyone listening that there's no substitute for, for regular physical exercise. And, you know, if, if people were to participate a little bit more than they did, my job would be a lot easier. So that's the last thing I'd like to say. Well, Mark Fabreo, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Professor Mark Fabreo talking about exercise and long life at the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. And now on to Physics in the Pub, run by the Australian Institute of Physics, where Heather Catchpole recited some of her poetry. A language warning, Heather uses a naughty word in one of her poems. Thank you for having me. I'm going to read three poems tonight, one on atomic theory, one on gravity, and one on the expansion of the universe. Now, the challenge of reading poetry is to absorb it. It's something which tends to float over you. So I'm going to challenge myself, and also because I tend to read quite fast, I'm going to challenge myself to read once or through at the speed of sound, and then once at the speed of light. (laughs) I will chase the world 
its wide-eyed, wild and timeless face, hold out my immutable and transient hand as a resting place, put all my force into coercing it to my embrace, where we shall rest and turn in endless dance about the point, the place. I'll twirl the world about in hurly-burly, strauss-like waltz, we'll dash about at cracking pace, forever caught like lovers' glances shared. She drifts towards me, smiling like she cared, while I pull back at invoice, inverse, 4 pi r squared. It doesn't matter if you have them or not. Like some spooky quantum, there's something friendly about the atom. It's like having a trillion invisible friends. Starting the universe, making it end. You can't see them, so it's like they're pretend. But they ain't. I can prove it. I know a bloke with a scanning electron microscope. Could see the very start of entropy. <laughs> Why, the atom's as clear as day to me. Well, a day in Manhattan, maybe, when it's all steamy and slightly foggy. But no matter. We know all about it. Why, an atom's a thing that cannot be split. Well, except for making a fucking mess of it. And generating a whole lot of randoms. I mean, quarks, leptons, fermions. God, they are so embarrassing. I mean, who thought it would all get so fancy? I know, invite the models, it gets a bit chancy. But look, at their heart, they're elementary, my dear Atom. A standard model of perfection. Tiny building blocks of too much introspection. Hadron, baryon, antiquark, boson, gluon, Higgs mechanism, sparticles. WTF, what's it all mean? What happened to my atom all shiny and clean? Little atoms so strange and obscene. They told me the world was ending yesterday. Not ending yesterday. We still have today, tomorrow, a lifespan, generations of descendants, five billion years or more maybe. Yes, it was yesterday they told me. This disembodied voice on the radio. In between the extreme weather and the death of a noted celebrity, the speed of the universe is accelerating. So we'll all drift apart. I mean, we, the atoms that make up our remains, our descendants' remains, generations of physical change, all of us bits, flying faster and further, further and faster, until at an arbitrary and wholly unobserved point, at a, some point where there is no point, no time, no existence, we reach an immeasurable density, a lack of density, a sparsity. We explode into sparsity and nothing, almost nothing, mostly nothing is there. And that means, the radio tells me, that means the universe will end. Not discuss this with anyone. I've felt lately, there's no one close enough to tell. All right, here we go. And again, for gravity. I will chase the world, its wide-eyed, wild and timeless face, hold out my immutable and transient hand as a resting place, put all my force into coercing it to my embrace, where we shall rest and turn in endless dance about the point of the place. I'll twirl the world about in hurly-burly strauss-like waltz, we'll dash about at cracking pace, forever caught like lover's glances shared. She drifts towards me, smiling like she cared, while I pull back at inverse 4 pi r squared.
doesn't matter if you have them or not, like some spooky quantum, there's something friendly about the atom. It's like having a trillion invisible friends starting the universe, making it end. You can't see it, so it's like they pretend. But they ain't. I can prove it. I know a bloke with a scanning electron microscope. Could see the very start of entropy. Why are the atoms as clear as day to me? Well, a day in Manhattan, maybe. Well, it's all steamy and slightly foggy, but no matter. We know all about it. Why an atom's a thing that cannot be split. Well, except for making a fucking mess of it. And generating a whole lot of randoms. I mean, quarks, electrons, and fermions. God, they're so embarrassing. I mean, who thought it would get so fancy? I know, invite the model, so it gets a bit chancy, but look at their heart, they're elementary. My dear atom, a standard model of perfection. Tiny building blocks of too much introspection. Hadron variants, eight quark, boson bloom. Higgs mechanisms, sparkles. W2EF, what's it all mean? What happened to my animals? Shining clean, little atoms so strange and obscene. They told me the world was ending yesterday, not ending yesterday. We still have today, tomorrow, our lifespan generations descend. It's five billion years or more, maybe. Maybe it was yesterday they told me this disembodied voice in the radio in between extreme brother and the death of a known celebrity. The speed of the universe is accelerating, so all drift apart. I mean, we, the atoms that make up our remains, our descendants remain generations. Physical change, all those bits flying faster and further, further and faster until at an atom arbitrary and wholly unreserved point at some point where there is no point, no time, no existence to reach an immeasurable density, a lack of density, sparsity, we explode into sparsity and nothing. Almost nothing, mostly nothing is there, and that means the radio tells me that means the universe will end. I've not discussed with anyone I've felt lately. There's no one close enough to tell. That was Heather Catchpole, Creative Director at Refractive Media, award-winning editor, journalist, author, and poet. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your own voice on radio? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. You can make donations at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network, including 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, and 3NBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station, and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then you can explore more than 850 previous episodes archived on the Diffusion website, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. 
in the study of sciences found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.